This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Sandy Hunt, and Dollars and Change is here every Thursday from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific. We are the show that explores the intersection of business and social impact. And to us, that means just about everything. And now we're going to be talking about home ownership. We welcome to the show Christina Boyle, who is the Chief Client Officer of Freddie Mac's Single Family Business. Welcome to Dollars and Change, Christina. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. Please call me Chris. Please call me Chris. All right, Chris. Thank you. Welcome to Dollars and Change. So first, let's make a little sense of your title. I think people know the name Freddie Mac, but these are big, big companies, um, big organizations. Talk to us a little bit about what your role is within it. So I am the chief client officer at Freddie Mac, which means that I am responsible for all of the clients who originate mortgages and sell them into the secondary market, specifically to Freddie Mac. Um, And so for those who aren't familiar with Freddie Mac, we operate in the secondary mortgage market, which means we keep capital flowing for purchasing mortgages from lenders so they can provide more loans to qualified borrowers. Um, We don't deal directly with consumers, but ultimately our goal is to create a better housing market for everybody. Uh, And the lenders we work with and the borrowers, we help to keep them and put them in homes. All right. Lots to dig in on. Um, A few of the key trends that you guys are are working on that are particularly relevant to social impact are your borrower of future, uh, the demographics of uh, evolving American home ownership, and also uh, your work with women um, in the industry. So I'd love to dig into those, too. Would you like to uh, do. do, do you prefer to start with one or the other? Uh, Either one. Take your pick. All right. Let's start with women in the industry. So this is a a big area of focus for us at Wharton Social Impact. We've done a great deal of research around what makes a good employer of women and looking at some of the trends around, um, you know, where women are are in business, uh, employ what what employers can do to be good employers of women. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what Freddie Mac is doing and um, and why in that area. So Freddie Mac is really passionate about advancing women and the diversity of of our workforce. So in addition to embracing different kinds and diverse market segments that we focus on with respect to borrowers, we're focusing on solutions and women in financial services. So as a financial services company, um, I don't probably don't have to tell you, but I'll tell your listeners, it's traditionally been a male-dominated industry, and the percentage of women leaders in high-impact roles are not as high as they should be. What, what, so, what sort of numbers are we talking about here? So let me give you a few stats. So only 17% of banking and insurance leaders expect to see a significant increase in the number of women leadership roles in the next five years. That's really startling. It's not even that women are poorly represented, but that's a pessimistic look at the future. Very pessimistic look at the future. So not optimistic about bringing females into the marketplace, and we're dramatically outnumbered in senior leadership roles. So as an example, only one in five in the C-suite leaders is a woman. I'm surprised it's that. Yeah, and 33% of females, 58% of males, but 33% of females believe that their organizations are effective at promoting women in leadership positions. So we've got work to do. We do indeed. What's Freddie Mac doing about it? So uh, supporting women is a top priority for us and for Freddie Mac as an organization. So 
we are, I think, very, very successful and have been very successful at putting women in leadership roles. Every person on our senior management team believes strongly that we are making sure we have diverse views represented around our table, and the decisions are those coming from different perspectives. So that means diversity and inclusion of different thought processes, including women. Okay. Um, let's, let's sort of dive in on that because it's, it's one of those great headlines that people get excited about and then sort of putting it to work and actually making it happen becomes a little a little trickier. Um, so when you talk about diversity and having more diverse perspectives around the table, you know, we've, you know, the, uh, a framing is sometimes, you know, acquired diversity. So the diverse experiences you're bringing to the table, then there's inherent diversity that might be gender and race. How do you think about it? And what are you shooting for when it comes to this diversity you're talking about? So in our hiring practices, we make it very, very clear that we are looking for all of the things that you just said, not uh, just diversity of gender, but d- diversity of thought, uh, diversity of um, uh, perspective as well. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, we've got a lot of folks who think differently, have different life experiences, et cetera, and we try to include those. When we hire a position at Freddie Mac, we consider all of those attributes, and we make sure that not just women, uh, but diversity of thought, ethnicity, all the other things that you spoke about are well represented and that everybody has an equal opportunity to come to the table. Got it. Any it, tricks, it takes, for, any, tricks an any tricks and tips for how um, you identify that through the interview process and, and maybe how your hiring and recruiting process has evolved to reflect those priorities? Yeah, so so it's purposeful, and I think it's just that simple. It's purposeful. What you need to do is focus on it. You need to make sure that you do have a diverse slate of candidates that you're recruiting from places that will get you different thought, different leadership, uh, different attributes from not only within our industry but outside of our industry as well. Um, so we're very purposeful in doing it, and I think that's that's half of the battle. Excellent. Okay. So um, so just being very intentional, does that look like setting minimum requirements of, you know, we want half the, the candidates for the final slate of interviews to be, you know, diverse in a couple of dimensions? Or um, is it more just that that is, those are the values you expect your hiring managers to, to you know, um, lead with? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a value statement. It's not a quota statement. It's definitely a value statement, and that's uh, we're purposeful in doing it that way. Got it. All right. So I interrupted you, yeah. I think, as you were heading into you know, all the things you do to focus on that one. Um, but what, what else are you guys doing? I think you called it the, the Leading the Way initiative. Yeah, leading the way is an important initiative for me uh, as a female leader in financial services, and I'm a bit seasoned in my career, if I don't say so, uh, bringing up other uh, female leaders, making sure that I am uh, supporting women as a top priority is abundantly important to me. Around the leadership table that I sit at, it's roughly 50% women, and I think it's important for us to represent that point of view and to bring along not only mentoring, but championing other women as well. And I'm pleased to say at Freddie Mac that that not only extends to the female leadership, but the male leadership as well. There's been so many statistics and studies that find that that diverse workforce results in a better company. And uh, we're very interested in uh, not only those outcomes, but having a better company. Sure. Have you have you seen any of those um, outcomes, you know, in action that that an, an increase in diversity um, has generated some of these benefits? 
Yeah, I think as a company, Freddie Mac has benefited. And uh, as I said, sitting around the table that I sit at, there's a diverse diversity of not only gender, but thought leadership, different types of personalities and perspectives, and quite frankly, brain function. We are a hard quant company, and we don't just have hard quants around the table. We've got innovators, we've got analysts, we've got extroverts, we've got lots of different talent around the table. And that, that leads to a better outcome. We're very, very happy with the success that Freddie Mac has had. And we think all of these efforts have been strong contributors to that success. Wonderful. Um, we're talking a bit about the, the front end of hiring and the recruitment process. What happens once people are employed? Have you seen any evolution or sort of necessary shifts in how to you know, manage, operate, provide benefits to employees in order to maintain the diversity you're, you're bringing in in the recruitment? Yeah, again, we're very purposeful in the talent that we have within the organization. We're a small company, but we have a diverse set of opportunities with Freddie Mac, from capital markets to operations, human resources, all the functions of a big SIFI. And we encourage our people to move around, to grow their knowledge base. We've got great training and support. As I said, we've got tremendous mentoring programs and sponsorship programs. And so it's a wonderful place to make a career, and we have lots of policies that ensure that for all of our workers, including new millennials that come into the company, we encourage movement, we encourage uh, them to grow, expand, try new things, uh, make mistakes if they need to. We're a big company and we, we, uh, we value the talent that they are and we think their skills can be used in a lot of different areas. So we encourage that and we support that and it's something we're pretty proud of. Wonderful. It certainly, certainly sounds great. Any statistics on... Um you know, uh, the the effect of these uh, intentional shifts towards diversity that you've been um, happy about in terms of employee demographics? You know, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I will tell you one of the benchmarks that we use is uh, we do an employee survey. And that satisfaction of our employee base is abundantly important. And we think it has a strong correlation to the satisfaction of our clients as well. And uh, not only do we have really high employee engagement and satisfaction, we've got really strong retention. And from a leadership perspective, if your people are with you and they're staying with you, they're growing and moving within the company, um, I think you're doing something right. Absolutely. When we conducted our research around what makes a company a good employer of women, and we were looking at the academic research that sort of backs these statements. One of the most interesting statistics we found was around satisfaction because, you know, we looked deep at pay and health and benefits. But when you ask someone, are you satisfied as at work? They sort of allow it to be this sort of uh, combined proxy for all of those factors. So if you ask someone, you know, hey, you know, is your job satisfying? They sort of do account for, you know, do I feel, um, you know, capable of doing my job? Is it a good work environment? Are my benefits decent? So it's a really, that's a really neat um, indicator. And I think if someone were to ask me, what's the one question I should ask my employees, if I could only ask one, it would be satisfaction. So that's great to hear. And congratulations on that work. Yeah, one other thing I would share with you that I think is an important point as well. At Freddie Mac, we not only attract millennials and sort of new fresh blood to the industry as well, we like to see a returning workforce. And this is particularly important for women Mm -hmm. and women as heads of households who are looking to get mortgages, which is very important to us. Um, That 
uh, program that allows women to come in after they've taken a gap in employment or whatever they've done and being paid at the level that that job would command, not at what their last job paid them, is an important point. So we don't ask at Freddie Mac. We have a policy not to ask what your former salary was. We pay you what we believe the job is worth. And that's really, really important to everyone uh, coming to Freddie Mac. So we're not only attracting millennials, but we're attracting what I would consider mid mid career hires or people returning to the workforce, which uh, more often than not are are women who have raised children who are coming back to a career or reestablishing themselves. So we're very proud of that as well. And we think that's a great policy that gets us terrific talent as well. Yeah, that's great to hear. I was just reading a um, an article in the Atlantic by a Wharton alumna who was writing that only 74% of professional women will actually rejoin the workforce in any capacity, and only 40% of those women will return to full-time jobs. So this is a great opportunity, and it's great to see those on-ramps um, increasing, and also not just that they exist, but that they're recognizing um, you know, potentially the, the value and uh, skills that have been developed in that time off and not necessarily uh, pegging people to go back to work in exactly the position they were before that, that time off. I yeah, want to make again, sure from a, oh, from a female leadership perspective as well, that's great, uh, especially in the housing market for so many female heads of households to be able to support their families and to move into home ownership is important for us. Wonderful. Chris, let's shift to uh, your other big impact priority. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to a conversation with Chris Boyle, who is the Chief Client Officer of Freddie Mac Single Family Business here on Dollars and Change on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. So Chris, talk to us about how you're thinking about this next generation, next wave of home buyers. We are seeing you know, increases in student debt, a um, an you know, evolving and growing gig economy, shifts in homebuyer demographics. It's really, I imagine, shaking up, you know, the, the scene as compared to 50, 100, even 25 years ago. Tell us how Freddie Mac's thinking about this and what you're doing about it. So the first thing we did was to establish what I would consider sort of a first-of-a-kind sort of groundbreaking campaign where we're talking about the borrower of the future, and that's how we've titled it. We need to help our clients in the industry really look at emerging trends and demographics that are shaping the housing industry. Um, We spend a lot of time with the CEOs of our companies talking about how they need to prepare themselves for that emerging cohort of borrowers, whatever that might look like, and how we can help them to get ready to do that. So there are topics like artificial intelligence that's shaping our industry, self-employed borrower workforce. That's a huge one. If you look Mm -hmm. at the demographics in self-employed and how that's growing, if you believe some of the statistics, as many as 40% of emerging homeowners will be self-employed. And as you mentioned, they'll they'll be employed in different ways than I was or perhaps my parents were with a nine-to-five job and and staying at one company. It very much will be uh, a sharing industry and a gig economy that we'll be serving. There's also different demographics and household formations, too. So if you look at, like, Hispanic populations or how millennials are forming households and their nucleus of what a family looks like, it's very different than it was 40 years ago. So the borrower of the future really is a thought leadership campaign where we can step back and say, what do we know? 
what's emerging, what's coming, and how do we come together to make sure that all of those emerging demographics are served well in home ownership because whether you have a nine to five job or you have four jobs in a gig economy, we generally all want the same things for our families and home ownership is generally one of those. Absolutely. And you started, um, you know, in framing this with your role in thought leadership, which is music to our ears. And we think, you know, the place to start is understanding the landscape. So what do, you, what do you mean when you say thought leadership? Are you conducting surveys, uh, generating data? You know, is it a step towards understanding these shifts? And, and if so, what do we know already? Yeah, so it definitely is a, a big uh, data and analytics exercise, first and foremost. So artificial intelligence and the evolution of the models that come from that, the data and information that we have, if you think about it, you know, we have been making mortgages for a very long time. We understand the demographics of folks that are there and the houses that are there and the trends that are shifting and have shifted over the years. So using that to project forward and to look at those different trends that are emerging generally outside of housing, first of all, we rely on some great partnerships that we have with some of the universities who are doing some leading edge research in household formations, yourself being one of them. You know, we follow all of the pieces in the research that you do. We put that into to, um, our thought process as we are looking at what's emerging in home ownership. So it's a combination of things. It's using AI. It's looking at where the demographic trends are going. It's looking at construction trends. We've spent a lot of time recently on manufactured housing and how important that's become in our industry. Uh, uh, Forty years ago, manufactured housing was really just a, a trailer, a single wide or a double wide mm-hmm. that was put on a foundation or on blocks. But today, it's a home that's built inside of a warehouse and actually trucked to the site. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge anyone to look at that house and, and, and show that it wasn't built on the site and stick built for that. And they're very, very well done. So everything from the type of uh, construction that they're doing to sometimes living space spaces. If you look at central cities like San Francisco as an example and small homes, uh, we've even looked at the, the container home movement that's gone on. So many businesses are using containers now to put up their businesses and, and have them be mobile and, and have them move around. They're very low-cost options that allow people to get into home ownership a little earlier. And in some cases, it suits their demographic. What do they want to live? How do they want to live? And where do they want to live? So a lot of research done in that space as well. And again, as I said, so many emerging trends that you can see coming from construction and some of those other leading indicators. So tell us a little bit, what are you seeing from those leading indicators such as construction trends? So manufactured housing, very, very strong. Uh, Lots of mixed-use development with respect to condominium uh, living, where uh, you have a lot of retail space commingled with condominiums, Mm -hmm. which is different than it was 40 years ago. Condos used to be single-building kinds of situations, which were standalone, and now they're intermingled with sort of lifestyle centers, if you will. So lots of emerging trends there, and how do we have policies and practices that support home ownership in those kinds of uh, um, uh, construction and those types of living spaces. Excellent. So, Chris, you're you're learning a lot about the shift to you know minority majority and differences in trends and millennials and employment. What is Freddie Mac doing about it to meet the demands of these clients and to uh, responsibly help folks achieve the dream of home ownership? 
So as I said, we are looking at these different trends and we are making sure that, let's just talk about manufactured housing again, we're making sure that our standards and our requirements are really meeting the market where it is growing to. Um, you know, we did not have policies that covered a house being built on a location where its foundation didn't reside. And how do we think about that? What are the key risks in that? What's the value of those homes? And what can we bring to the table as people are choosing that kind of construction and making sure that our lenders are armed with the liquidity to supply to those markets as those markets are being built out? So there's those and many others that we're doing to support that kind of, of home ownership. Got it. What about the gig economy and, um, you know, your your statistic that, you know, 40 percent of people, if you believe that one, but let's say even if it's half wrong, a fifth of people, right, are, um, you know, self-employed or um, seeking jobs in a gig economy. How is how is Freddie Mac's business evolving to respond to that? So self-employed borrowers are a little bit harder to qualify in that they have so many sources of income, and some of it's more intermittent than uh, sort of, I will call it a steady biweekly paycheck or some of the things that we've been used to. Reviewing the tax returns and the things that go into being self-employed has heretofore been complex and time-consuming. And uh, the calculation for that self-employed borrowing and the reality of how much time it takes in that segment, uh, it discouraged lenders and, quite frankly, self-employed borrowers uh, didn't feel as confident uh, applying for a mortgage because it is so challenging and has been so challenging in the mortgage market. So we recently launched a tool that we call our Asset and Income Model, or AIM is what we like to call it. And it's available for self-employed borrowers through our Loan Product Advisor, which is our automated underwriting engine. So it's bringing technology to the self-employed, and what it does is it allows us to, on a very automated, rapid fashion, in a very uniform way, qualify borrowers so that we can more accurately uh, determine which self-employed borrowers are eligible for home ownership. And uh, it's a tool that takes out cost, and it streamlines the process. And if current trends continue as they are, it's going to be a valuable tool to home ownership and that growing source of uh, home ownership and lend- or borrowers for our lenders out there. Excellent. What about the landscape of, of student debt? Um, it seems like rarely does a show go by here on Dollars and Change that does not come up in, in some form or fashion. Um, you know, what, is it, what does that look like for home ownership? I'm not certainly saying that the right answer is making homes available, but what is Freddie Mac learning from and, and uh, doing with this trend? So there's no question that millennials and others face astronomical debt. You know, according to recent studies like the one released by the New York Federal Reserve, there's a lot of student debt out there. Millennial debt totals about a trillion dollars. That's up 22 percent from five years ago. So interestingly, the New York Fed study reveals that millennials on the whole are significantly more fiscally conservative um, than their debt uh, numbers indicate, so much more than previous generations. So when you combine that with their investment strategies and um, the complexity and the nuances of how they earn, um, they're delaying home ownership, and that's one of the key drivers is they're actually being more conservative, paying down that debt before they do jump into home ownership. And that's one of the statistics that we've seen from our millennial cohort as it's emerging. It's coming to home ownership um, uh, a little slower than others because I think they're being fiscally responsible about it and making sure to pay down that debt and get it to a point where they can meaningfully manage it and come into home ownership when they're ready. Excellent. Um, what is Freddie Mac doing, you know, to inform 
good decisions for for that um, sort of shifting student debt holder uh, group? So the student debt piece of it is not something that's particularly in our lending sphere, but the lenders that we partner with to do mortgages, we've done an awful lot to support them uh, in education, in uh, uh, understanding how to come into mortgage debt, and understanding how to manage that. So we really have followed our lender cohorts in looking at uh, that student debt, giving them as much data and analysis, economic information that we can provide, and uh, bringing together all the research in this space to really help people make fiscally sound choices. You know, it sounds pretty basic to someone like me who's been in the business for a very, very long time, but as you're taking on debt, growing in your life experiences, perhaps taking on a home, that education is abundantly important. Student debt is one component of fiscal responsibility, and I think lenders are doing a amazing jobs of educating borrowers on the totality of their financial responsibility, including mortgage debt. And we do whatever we can do to help support them in that. Generally, that comes from the lens of, lens of how you should think about mortgage debt and factoring it into your overall debt position. So, uh, But I do think lenders are doing a terrific job in, in educating uh, uh, all cohorts and in coming into the space. Excellent. Chris Boyle, Chief Client Officer at Freddie Mac, thank you for joining us on Dollars and Change. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to keep our eyes on um, how those two sort of big trends uh, in in uh, Freddie Mac's business and in the industry broadly uh, evolve, both in the changing demographics of, of home buyers and also having um, an increase in women in the industry. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.